right. Well, I am excited to be uh, journeying through this new series of Live Like It Matters. We kicked it off last week, and we kind of explored this nuance of it. What is it, and how do we get it? And we kind of talked about the rhythms of life, where sometimes we've had these seasons where we've just been so on fire in our relationship with Jesus that, like, nothing could stop us. But then, slowly over time, we suddenly realize, oh man, where, where did that passion go? Where, where um, did it slip away to? And it usually doesn't happen overnight. It d- doesn't usually just happen suddenly. It's usually by all these small decisions that creep up. And as we're talking about live like it matters, and last week we talked about how it will change everything. This week I want to talk about how it will change our homes. Because there's this idea all throughout scripture of place, of belonging. And actually, I, I love these new fabric banners. Uh, Regan Newdorf helped me design these. And we wanted something to kind of help with the acoustics. We wanted something to make it our own space. But then he also put in these topography maps. And they could be water, they could be uh, waves, but they can also signify place. And what's beautiful about the church is that we don't just come to church. Church isn't a place. COVID helped remind us of that. But the church is a gathering of believers coming together to worship Jesus. So it doesn't matter whether we're in the gym on a Saturday night or we're here on a Sunday morning. We can be the church wherever we are. And we're going to be talking about how it will change our homes, how it will change the church, and how it will change the world. But I want to ask, how many of you sitting here are at least third-generation followers of Jesus, meaning your grandparents follow Jesus? Show of hands? All right, most of you, which is crazy, which is good. How many of you sitting here are second-generation followers of Jesus, meaning your parents followed Jesus? And then how many of you sitting here are first-generation followers of Jesus? Like, you're the trailblazer, and this is a wild, crazy ride. <laughs> and I'm asking this because no matter which category you fall into, we all have an opportunity to impact future generations. We have a chance to transform our homes so that hopefully years from now, our kids and our grandkids, even our great-grandkids, will still be following Jesus too. So that if their pastor asks, how many of you here, they're raising their hands like, yeah, my grandparents were followers of Jesus. But you see, it doesn't happen accidentally. It takes intentionality, and it takes you having it for your kids to catch it. Because they can't catch something from you that you don't have. So even if you don't have kids, just for others around you to catch it, you have to have it. Because as the saying goes, most things are caught rather than taught. Especially for our kids who who see us at our best and see us at our worst. It's actually very sobering as a parent to see my attitude come out in my kids. Or when Landon will give a sarcastic response to Amanda and she just glares at me and I'm like, oh boy. (laughs) 
Throughout the Old Testament, we see these powerful and miraculous moments where God shows up, he rescues his people, and everyone who got to experience this was just stoked. Like, they were inspired, they were excited, they were moved, they were like on fire. But then that generation passed away, and the next generation did their religious duties and obligations. They did the things they thought they should do. But there wasn't the same excitement. And perhaps as a second or third generation follower of Jesus, you've experienced that as well. I'm just going to move that mic. <laughs> but then after that generation passed away, the following generation, the third generation, drifted even further. In Judges 2, starting in verse 10, it's talking about the third generation here, and it says, after that generation died, the second generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. They did evil in the Lord's sight, they abandoned the Lord, and they went after other gods, worshipped other gods. They angered the Lord. There was this slow drift. There was a generation that saw and experienced the move of God, the first generation. Then there was a generation that saw the move of God but didn't experience the move of God, second generation. And then there was a generation that neither saw nor experienced the move of God, third generation. So you could say the first generation knew the Lord of the work, the second generation knew the work of the Lord, and the third generation knew neither the Lord of the work nor the work of the Lord. And it happened slowly, this drift. And it's actually something called the second law of thermodynamics, which Parents, you know this. You get your coffee first thing in the morning, and by the time you finally get around to finishing it, it's completely cold. Because as it's away from the source and the heat element, it starts getting colder. We see it every January. Um, get a gym membership. Show up to the parking lot. Can't find a place to park. Go mid-March. You can have any spot you want. And this is the same in life. It's the same in life, and it's the same in the realm of faith. And while it's tempting to kind of put blame on the younger generation, those crazy hooligans who are up to no good, it actually starts with us. It starts with us having it and over time losing it. And as we ourselves drift further away from God, it's only natural for those around us to drift further. So how do we stop it from happening? Well, by living like it matters at home. So let me read a letter that Paul wrote to his young companion, his partner in ministry, Timothy. So if you have your pew Bible in front of you, well, I believe you all do, which is so great. We've never had this before. It's page 1850, 1850, if you want to follow along, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, but Paul begins his letter and in verse 3, he says, Timothy, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I'm so thankful for you. You mean so much to me. Who doesn't want to hear that? If you're going to influence someone and want them to take you seriously, they need to know how much you care. Because as the saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So Paul is reminding Timothy, I'm so thankful for you. I care for you. I'm praying for you. 
I'm so excited about what God is doing in your life. And then in verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. And he's referring to a story from Acts chapter 16, verse 1, where Paul's in town preaching, and Timothy's there and his mother and grandmother. And one of the principles we discussed last week to live like it matters is to remember it. Remember it, remember it, remember it. Remember God's goodness, his faithfulness, his grace. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's reminding Timothy to remember, but he's also remembering what he's seen God do in Timothy's life. And in verse 6, he says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And that's the first step. The first step to stopping the drift so it will change your home is to light it, to fan it into flames. Parents, teachers, aunts, uncles, friends, you have an incredible influence on those around you. And whether or not you have kids of your own, you have the opportunity to shape future generations. But you have to light it. You have to be passionate about it. You have to help them light it too. You have to help them acquire the fire. We were joking around about that last week. There used to be a, a conference down at Cops Coliseum here in Hamilton. Acquire the fire. And it was for young adults and young people to come to, to, to be passionate about their faith. So how do you light it? Well, think about it. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? What do you make time for every day or every week? Is Jesus part of it? Because we support what we love. We give to what we love. We make time for what we love. I've heard it said before that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. They, they want to feel loved. And if we're not making time for them, they know that something's up. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. You want to know how to light it? Treasure Jesus. Spend time with him. You might be able to, to fake it at church, but trust me, you cannot hide this from your kids, your spouse, those you spend the most time with. They pick up on everything. And the reality is, that the people in your home see you as you really are, in your weakness, in your most vulnerable moments. They see the, the unedited version of you. That's why we're always terrified, but also find it hu humorous when we see shows like Kids Say the Darnest Things, and they start asking their kids, so what do mom and dad do? And it's like, oh boy, we're all like, no! Because <laughs> they see us. They see what we love to do, what we spend our time doing, where we spend our money. And at home, there's just no escape from who you really are. So I have to ask again, is Jesus your treasure? Are you spending time with him as part of your daily routine? Do your kids see it? Do they know it? Is church part of it? Is serving others part of it? Fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you. Paul continues in verse 7 saying, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, which is the second step. we got to share it. If we're going to live like it matters, if we're going to have it transform our homes, we have to share it. Never be ashamed, never be embarrassed, never shy away from sharing it. We don't have a spirit, a spirit of fear and timidity, but when we're living like it matters, we discover that we have this spirit of power, of love, of self-control. So you light it, you fan it into flame, you build the passion, and then you share that. You invite others to experience what you've been experiencing. When my kids were young, Steve Kerr, the pastor at our sponsor church, Gateway in Caledonia, gave me a brilliant parenting hack. And I've shared this with many of you, so sorry if you've heard this before, but he said, Kev, what do you love doing? I said, golfing. He said, okay, here's the parenting hack. If you want, your, if you want to keep golfing, then you need to get your kids golfing. And he said, take Landon with you and make it the best day of his life. Bring his favorite candies, give him a pop, do whatever you want. And he said, but the thing is, the moment he says, like, Dad, I want to go home, he's like, you pack it up and you just go. Like, you want him to only remember the good things. So that's what I did. I took him out golfing. I got him a set of clubs for his seventh birthday. And he hadn't even asked for them, but got him his root beer. So now that's a bit of a tradition. But uh, man, now Landon, a year later, is saying, Dad, when can we go golfing again? And I'm like, okay, Amanda, like, I need to go spend some time with my son. <laughs> and what a great hack, because now it's not even me saying, let's go golfing, but it's like, I need to spend time with my son, four hours uninterrupted, just smacking a little white ball. Now, in hindsight, I should have picked skipping rocks at the lake, because this is quite expensive, <laughs> but... It happened slowly, and it happened by me being excited about something, by, by being excited about this silly sport of smacking a little white ball distances into a little, into a little round hole. But I was excited about it. I was passionate about it, and then I chose to share that. And then he became passionate about it too. And he started picking up on all of these different things and nuances and so not only is it just about getting the root beer now every time we go, but he's starting to experience the joy that I experience. So after you light it, Paul says to Timothy, you have to share it. And usually that's, that's just natural. It's, it's uncontainable. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, God's word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Have you ever had to hold in a really big surprise? When I decided to propose to Amanda, she was taking off to Albania and then traveling Europe, and she was going to be gone for four months. And I decided to call her friend Laura, who she was going to be traveling with, and say, hey, I want to meet you guys at the very end of your trip and surprise Amanda and propose to her. And I, I was just so excited to get this done, so I, I told Laura at the end of December, and this wasn't going to happen until the end of April, and I didn't realize what a burden that was on Laura. <laughs> so
So Laura is off traveling with Amanda for four months, and she's just burning to tell someone and for this to happen. And we found out afterwards that Laura had actually told every single person she met in Albania and at this Bible school because she couldn't keep it to herself. She's like, this is what's happening, and Amanda has no idea. And for four months, somehow they all kept it a secret from Amanda. She just had to share it, though. And Paul goes on in his letter. He says, don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for Christ, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer for me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So we light it, we share it, and then the third step to living like it matters at home is to participate in it. Paul says, God saved you and called you to live a holy life to participate in a new way of life, a life marked by love, joy, peace, hope, a life that's marked by following Jesus. So friends, is your life marked by the person of Jesus? Is it being shaped by him? Are you a different person because of the difference Jesus is making in your life? I'm just having a memory of being at a conference a couple years ago and and the speaker there was saying, I don't want to hear about your testimony 20 years ago. How's Jesus intersecting your life now? And I think that's a call for living like it matters. Sure, we all have these, these times where it's like, oh, I was baptized at, for me, 18. Then I really had this moment of coming to Jesus at the age of 24. But... How's Jesus actually at work in my life today, this past week? Some of us, we might need to change a couple things in our lives, in our schedules, in our rhythms and routines. Perhaps you've been wondering where it went, the intimacy with Jesus, and you haven't made time to be with him. Maybe some things need to be reprioritized so you can relight the flame that once burned brightly. Maybe there are daily rhythms that can be changed so that you can share your relationship with Jesus with others. For example, I never realized this, but in the morning I'd be sitting in my chair drinking my coffee, scrolling on my phone, reading the Bible, doing a uh, devotional on the Bible app, and my kids just thought I was scrolling TikTok. I'm like, no, I'm not. So I actually started trying to invite them into what I was reading, telling them, or even bringing my physical Bible just to actually communicate to them that I'm not scrolling on TikTok. I began making it a point and being intentional to let them see what I was doing. Because I was passionate about this, I wanted to share that with them, and then I wanted us to participate in it together. Parents, this one's especially for you. One of the greatest things you can do for your kids is to participate in corporate worship together. And I'm going to tread extremely lightly on this, but it was on my heart and I had to share it, but I know many of you are going to feel called out because we're sitting in a room of hockey parents here. But here's why I'm sharing it. Because it's attention. 
and I believe it's a tension that needs to be thought through with intentionality. I don't believe there's any right or wrong answers, and I'm not trying to, to force my will upon you. <laughs> but sports, sports is such a struggle, and I get it. So many sports have practices, games, and tournaments on weekends, and particularly Sunday mornings, as we know. But here's something I saw time and time again as a youth pastor, and this is where I, I just want to highlight the tension in order to lean into it and think through it thoughtfully. Parents would often prioritize sports over faith time and time again. If it was sports or church, it was always sports, year after year. But then the time would come that either their kids stopped playing sports or their schedules changed and they would come to me as the youth pastor who would run the Wednesday night program and they were desperate for their kids to get involved in church. And they were desperate for their kids to get involved in a good youth group and connected with good friends surrounded by others who love and follow Jesus so that their kids would follow Jesus too. But the fact of the matter was that the parents hadn't made corporate worship a priority for years. They hadn't passed on that passion for Jesus. They'd passed on the passion for sports but they hadn't prioritized the spiritual life. They hadn't shared their faith. They hadn't participated in it together. Yet they wanted to see their sons and daughters suddenly make it a priority. Parents, I know you're most likely feeling called out on this one, but invite your kids into the tension. I remember my parents wrestling when we would have baseball tournaments on a Sunday, and they're just like, but we've got to go to church. And they would talk about it with my brother and I, and they would really wrestle like, okay, maybe dad could do this, and mom could go here. And, and I know many of you guys are already having those conversations. But even that, wrestling through and working together as a family, saying, how can we make Jesus a priority and still support these other things that we have going on. Because guys, I know a few of you are even coaches this year. And I think that's amazing. I want you to be in the community and spread the love of Jesus there. But let's teach our kids that our faith matters just as much. The writer of Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Church, this is why it's so important that we keep gathering together, so that we can help people, adults, families, and our kids take their next steps toward Jesus, together and for themselves so that they will see it and taste it and experience it and know that it is good. I'm sure we've all heard about Disney World, but now how many people here have been to Disney World? Like, there's one thing about knowing it and there's one thing about actually experiencing it, and they're two different things. And that's the same with our relationship with Jesus. We have to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And we can share that with our kids, and we're going to do our best to pass that on. 
But then the time is going to come where they have to experience it for themselves too. As parents and grandparents, we can do our best to pass on all that we know about Jesus. But we also have to help them experience it for themselves and create opportunities for them to do that. And that's why kids ministry and youth ministry and uh, young adults ministry, all that stuff, play such vital roles in our kids' lives. Those were some of the, the times in my life that God really spoke to me in different ways or held me accountable. If you want to help people experience Jesus firsthand, the best thing you can do is to live like it matters. To live like it matters at home. And if you're struggling with it, or if you've lost it, or if you've never had it, it's time to get it. And getting it as simple is as simple as just surrendering to Jesus. Making him first in your life. Making him your Lord and Savior. And living life with him. Church, when, when we get it, we need to keep lighting it. We need to fan the flame. We need to keep spending time with him. We need to share it. We need to pass on our passion for Jesus. And then we need to participate in it, worship together, make it a priority, serve together. And if you have to miss a service from time to time, think through how you can still take time to focus on Jesus as a family. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for inviting us into such an amazing life that transforms us from the inside out. And God, I pray for everyone here who's just feeling like they've lost it. Maybe they're working through things, not even sure if they want it. But God, for those who have tasted and seen your goodness and your love, and have experienced it. Oh, we know it's good. This is how we were created. Help us to lean into you this week. Help us to worship you. Help us to, to focus our eyes on you. And God, I pray that we will fan the flame. That we will share it with our, our kids and our family, friends, coworkers. And then God, I pray that we will continue to participate in what you're doing in the local church, in the various ministries that go across our province, our country, and even around the world. Help us to participate in what you're doing so that the world may know who you are and experience your love. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.